The Fight to Save the Town, Reimagining Discarded America, is a book by Michelle Wilde Anderson. On December 8th, she will be in conversation with Rafe Larson, founder of the Future of Small Cities Institute. And to tell us more, I'd like to welcome back Rafe Larson to the show. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me back. Thanks for being here. So what made you invite Michelle Wilde Anderson to speak with you? What intrigued you about her book? Yeah, so this book came out this year, and I was just struck, one, with the depth of her reporting. The book tracks four very different kinds of communities that are all in some ways struggling with the idea of uh, entrenched poverty, um, you know, a lack of budgets, um, and sort of these cyclical problems of, like, how do you lift people up and how do you govern communities and how do you change decade-long problems. The four communities, though, are quite different. So there's uh, Stockton, California, that has, it's a very diverse community that's really struggled with gun violence and gang violence. Uh, Josephine County, Oregon, which is one of these sort of uniquely American libertarian experiments where they've basically voted any sort of government out of office and cut budgets to like the nth degree to the point where there's like no jail. You know, it's a mix. It's, it's pretty much rural, but there's also some towns and cities mixed in there. Uh, Lawrence Mass, which may be the location with most corollaries and, and um, connections with Troy is that it's, you know, this legacy uh, mill town that has a lot of immigrants, uh, a history of organized labor, and a lot of issues with its downtown corridors and uh, school systems and so forth. And then Detroit, Michigan, um, which obviously is a larger city, but um, is another example of, of a sort of rust belt city that um, expanded rapidly, it was kind of the foundation of the, the middle class in the 20th century, and then went through this rapid kind of shrinking where properties were sort of left to die and bulldozed. Uh, and this whole question of how do you cultivate on a very local level um, affordable housing that's decent neighborhoods that like are looking after themselves. So the sum total of these uh, four really well-chosen examples is, I think, like an amazing snapshot of America on a sort of neighborhood and town and city level. Like what's actually going on, you know, above the kind of glamour of of of, of D.C., like what's happening on the ground um, and how are people kind of overcoming these seemingly unsurmountable challenges. In conversations around rebuilding communities, there are two groups that may feel left out or discarded. Rebuilding often brings with it gentrification, pushing out black and brown communities. Rebuilding may also signify to some that they're moving away from traditional values, which were built around mining or milling, leaving a discarded America, to use from the title of the book, um, in its wake. How does one rebuild without pushing away certain groups? Yeah, I mean, I think we can all agree on some commonalities, right? That we want to live in safe places. We want to live in places with opportunities. We want to live in uh, places that have, you know, um, areas where we can play and eat and work. We want jobs. So, you know, I think if you ask any voter, <laughs> whether they're conservative or progressive, or democratic, they're going to actually agree on a, on a set of commonalities. Maybe the avenues to get there or what they 
choose to linger on or the buzzwords that they use may be different. But I think when you go go to the heart of it, there there are some real agreements that we all want. I think the the really interesting sort of knife edge that we're on right now is what is the role of government? And particularly mm-hmm. like what is the role of government on a very local level? You know, the buzzword of sort of the conservative movement is that we want small government. But like, what does that actually look like on the ground when we're talking about uh, a town or a city? So like, what does the police force look like if you cut spending? What does the school system look like if you cut spending? What does um, mental health services, uh, housing, all these, you know, big questions that contribute overall to the question of like quality of life, but also you know, to generational poverty, like what happens when you cut away government to the nth degree, I think. And conversely, like what are the other mechanisms or forces at play? Because a lot of these places in the absence of a of a, a strong or a funded government have had to lean into community service programs or neighborhood programs or nonprofits or really in- interesting sort of uh, community networks to lift folks up to deal with gener- things like generational tra- trauma and and that's i think where government meets the people and meets like um organizations and communities and collaborates with them and ultimately overcomes these challenges that's like the crux of the issue right so that's why these four portraits i think offer you know a kind of range of of, of examples and i i think for me that that word discarded is is important because there's also a tendency in this country to look away, right? If it's not your locality, you're like, well, they're dealing with that over there. So to actually look at it and say, actually, this is not that far down the block. It's right in my hometown. And what like these people or these communities actually have been discarded. And so what's the question is like, how can we pick them up? What, what's, what are the forces to, to pick them up? Um, and when you start looking at it like that, I think you, you find some really interesting answers. Do you feel like that sentiment is actual here in, in Troy and in the other? We usually focus on Troy as our our small cities, but the other cities around here too. Yeah, I mean, the capital region is super interesting because you have you know the county government, the local city government, and the state government all overlapping here. So you have different layers of governance, and then you have a whole range of you know. Um, academic organizations and medical organizations. And then you have this whole layer of nonprofits and interesting community groups. And I think Troy's at a really interesting inflection point because after decades of really being down and out, you have a kind of thriving downtown, uh, which, you know, is a combination of government investment, private, private enterprise, all these kind of forces coming to work. But then you also have um, neighborhoods to the north and south of the downtown, South Troy and Lansingburg, that are still struggling with a lot of endemic issues. And you often find this where like cities going through boom and bust cycles do so unevenly. So I guess the question is how how can you bring along the neighborhoods alongside a downtown? How can you make sure that you develop and, and, and create equity? And then as you develop, how do you make sure that you don't displace? And I think, you know, a couple of years ago, people were like, "Ah, oh, we're not there yet. We don't have to worry about gentrification." But I think we are there now, and I think that's that question that you brought up earlier looms really large, right? So, how do you build wealth, build economic development, but also bring everyone along? And what is the role of government in that process as well? Right, and gentrification looks 
many different ways, so it's not always obvious. But before we run out of time, I do want to turn to the Focus Lab, which excitingly just has a new opening, the, the latest exhibition. And we'll do a follow-up segment, but can you give us a little bit of uh, a teaser of, of what's in Focus Lab right now? Yeah, we're super excited about it. It just opened December 4th as part of the Victorian Stroll. And the new exhibition is called Main Streets Resurfaced. And it's a deep dive into what our downtown corridors look like. What's been the history of Main Streets? You know, once upon a time, they were, you know, great walkable corridors where everyone bought all their all their goods and groceries. And then the rise of the private automobile in the 20th century and the rise of suburbanization sort of gutted them and turned them into car corridors. And now, again, we're at this really interesting change point where people are sort of looking at storefronts and stores and these corridors with new eyes, uh, with, you know, under a new kind of what is the um, experiential economy, right? How do we, what can we gain on these mean streets that we can't gain online? How can we transform them into third places, places of community? So this, this exhibition explores a lot of places, including Troy, Poughkeepsie, Kingston, and some Western mass cities as well. And there's a lot to do for young and old. There's, we have a lot of uh, kids activities. We have a whole playscape back area. So it's, so it's a really interactive? fun visit. Very interactive. Yes. Um, and there's a really cool 3D map of Troy too. So uh, we had like over 300 people came on the Victorian stroll, but it's I, I really, really suggest you come in and check it out. We're Wonder. open Saturdays uh, 10 to 3, and the exhibit will be up through July. Thank you so much, Rafe Larson. Always a pleasure to talk with you on Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Thank you. It's awesome. I really appreciate it.